our hands. Let's give God praise tonight. Let's worship him. There's nobody like Jesus. We worship you, dear God. We bless your name. Ah, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give you praise tonight, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. 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 How many are glad you're in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night? The weather may not cooperate, but the Holy Ghost is always available. Amen. 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 We want you to remain standing. We're going to bring to the pulpit at this time uh, our preacher, and he hails all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Brother Loami Diaz has been used of God. We had a wonderful service in Fort Myers the other night. He flew in from Argentina preaching the gospel. He jumped right into a pulpit, and he was exhausted. Um, the Holy Ghost moved, though. I'm glad God can move no matter what's going on in our lives. And so he preached last night, wonderful move of the Holy Ghost, and we have him here tonight in Belglade, and he, I know he's got a good word from the Lord, so why don't we put our hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Brother Diaz, come preach the word of the Lord to us. Thank you, sir. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord all over this building and give the Lord praise in this house. We love you, Jesus. We exalt your name. Let's just magnify him just a little while. If you, Father, we love you and magnify you, Jesus, because you're awesome. You are a great God. You are a merciful God. You are an awesome God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you because of your tender mercies towards us. We love you, Lord, because where would we be had it not been for you? We love you, O oh Lord, because you are an incredible God of grace and mercy, we love you above all. I pray, oh God, that you would be with us here tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen and amen. Always so good to come into the house of the Lord and to meet uh, fellow worshipers in the Lord. And uh, it's uh, such an honor uh, to be in Belglade, Florida, and to worship with all of you. Amen. I want to get right into the word of the Lord. I give honor to your pastor and to all of the ministers here. Uh, don't know them, but I, I, I'm looking forward to getting to know them, fellowship them a little. And I uh, also want to thank Brother Urshan for the opportunity to be here with all of you. The word of the Lord, Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 18 through verse 21. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through verse 21. <coughs> Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through verse 21. The Bible reads this so in the name of Jesus Christ. This is speaking of Abraham here. It says, who against hope, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Uh, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to 
performed. What he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, I'd like to emphasize here, verse 19, he was not weak in faith, but, um, but he considered not his own body now dead. Uh, basically, when it says he uh, he was his own body was now dead, basically it means he was uh, infertile. He could not bring forth children at that time. So uh, he was an older man, and he had a dead body. And then it says, uh, and and he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. So not only was his body dead, uh, but Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. My message here, uh, I want to speak to you for the next several minutes on this subject, a fertile promise in a sterile womb. A fertile promise in a sterile womb. That is, God gave him the promise of a child but he placed them in a womb that was dead. When God gives you a living promise, but puts it in a womb that is dead, I, I, I don't know about you, but that happens to me quite a bit of time. God gives you a promise, and you read it over and over again in Scripture, but then you look at your circumstances and go, but my womb is dead. I can't bring forth the promise you just gave me. That's what we're going to talk about right here. There was a fertile promise that was given to Abraham, but he placed that fertile promise in a sterile womb. Father, we bless you here tonight. We ask that you would help us to hear your word, assimilate what thus saith the Lord, and that your will be done, that we may, O oh God, uh, help help us to understand what thus saith the Lord through your word, that we may understand it and then put it into practice. I pray, O oh God, that you would help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, we pray here. Amen and amen. God bless you all over this building. You may be seated. One of the things that I have learned in witnessing myself childbirth uh, it's that it is absolutely necessary for the life of the child that you have a strong womb. Uh, the, the woman has a strong womb. And uh, the reason why, it's because it provides protection and nourishment. And so uh, if the womb is unhealthy, then the baby will naturally be unhealthy. Uh, the womb is where you wanted to have a, you want her to have a healthy womb because in the process, she'll bring forth a healthy child. There's a problem, though, when we read this story. The, the big problem with all this childbearing stuff is that Sarah's womb just it wasn't just unhealthy. Sarah's womb was dead. That's what the Bible tells us. It was dead. In other words, Sarah's womb was incapable of accomplishing God's promise incapable of accomplishing God's promise, was incapable of bringing forth fruit or bringing forth a child. And yet God gave her a promise 
that she would have a child. There's a biblical truth in that. The biblical, biblical truth is that God always tends to choose people and things and nations and churches and youth groups that are incapable of accomplishing his will. I, I, I don't understand that. But he chooses those things that for you see your calling, brethren, that not many are, you know, wise men after the flesh. That's what the Bible says. You see your calling that not many are wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. That's what my scripture tells me. It says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath also chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, God has also chosen uh, to, the, uh, to confound those things and, this, and those are things that are uh, mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Can I tell you, it is a principle all over the scripture. You will see over and over again, that God seems to choose those things that are incapable of accomplishing the very thing that he promised them that he would fulfill in their lives. You, you look at the people of Israel <coughs> in Deuteronomy chapter 7, <coughs> and you'll see that the people of Israel as a nation was a chosen people. Deuteronomy is the second time that the law was given. Uh, if you look, Deu which would, you know, you break down the, the word deo, which would mean two, or dos in Spanish, and that would mean two or second. And then you have uh, anomy or nomos, which basically means law. And so what you have here is Deuteronomy as a whole is the second time that the law was given. And so what it was, the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see is, is uh, and many times, it's just a, the very copy of what was already given to them before. And, and when you look at the second time that the law was given, why? It was given because there was children that had been out in the desert. There was children who did not know the first time that the law was given. And so God had to come back to remind them. And so he came back the second time to give them the law of God. And so here we go. And you look at Deuteronomy and there's something so important that God tells the, the children that were out in the desert who did not know the first law that had been given to their parents. And so God comes the second time and says, all right, here goes the second time around. And I'm going to tell you something because you got all puffed up and you thought that, hey, we are the chosen nation and God chose us out of all the peoples of the world and look at us. And so God came around the second time and had to remind them of some things because they weren't there when the people of Israel, their parents, went through the desert and, and God kept their, you know, the, the soles of their feet and, and uh, the, the way that it should be and God fed them manna. And they weren't there when God gave them and provided for them and brought them out of slavery. They weren't there for that. So so there was an entitlement spirit that was getting a hold of them. And they thought we have been chosen because of our strength. And look at us and all the other nations. They don't know how we have. And so God said, okay, here we go. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor did he choose you because you were more in number than any people. But he says, for you were the fewest of all the people. 
So the Lord had to come down and remind them, listen, I didn't choose you because you were big in number. As a matter of fact, you were the fewest of all the people. You were the most incapable of, of really coming across and doing my will among the nations. You were the most incapable. And when I looked upon your nations, when I looked upon the nations of the world to see whom I was going to choose, I could have chosen Babylon. I could have chosen just about anybody that had a great army in order to impose my will upon the nations of the earth. But I saw you, the fewest of all the people. You were over and you were a slave and you could not bring forth my will and my promise. And I said, guess what? I'm going to choose you not because you're capable, but I'm going to choose you because you are the fewest of all the people. You look in Acts chapter 4, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says that there were ignorant and unlearned men. These were, these were your next apostles. Ignorant and unlearned men. That's what it says. And so the, 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 the Greek word for ignorant is, is the same root word where we get idiot from. You know, that, that's the kind of men that there were. It's the kind of men, it's like Jesus you know, was coming down and he said, whom am I going to choose to see who's going to change the world with me? You know, and he's looking around and he's like, man, I don't know. That doc, doc, doctor, so-and-so, no, no, sir, you don't qualify. Lawyer, so-and-so, no, sir, you don't qualify. I'm a businessman. No, sir, you don't qualify. He comes down by the sea and there's some guy out there going, A, B, D, D, F, G, G. He said, yep. <laughs> Come on down. Yeah, come on down. Follow me. I'm about to make you a fisher of men, and you're about to turn the world upside down. And guess why? Why, Lord? Why me? I've never done that in my life. I don't qualify. I just don't know. I've never learned. I, I'm ignorant, and I'm unlearned. And he said, that's exactly why. Because you are incapable of acquiring my will. You are incapable of doing what I want you to do. I am choosing you not because you're learned, not because your awesomeness of your awesomeness. I am choosing you because you are ignorant and incapable of doing what I have commanded you to do. If you look at Jesus himself, he comes to earth. It wasn't the most, you know, what people were expecting in a savior of the world. I mean, if you and I would have come down, I, well, I don't know about you, but my God, uh, I've got to be really honest with you. If I would have come down as Savior of the world, you, man, come on now. Savior of the world, you best believe I'm coming down in Armani. <laughs> that day, you best believe I'm coming down in a limo, baby. I'm coming down and over in the over in the in the loudspeakers it's like he's the pimp of the year hey he didn't come dressed with gold and silver there's no costly array there was no beauty in him that we should desire him he, you know and so 
this is Jesus. You want to know what Jesus was? And he comes down. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. That's what my Bible said. And he was made in the likeness of men. That's what he was. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, the kenosis. He emptied himself. That's what he did and he became obedient unto death even the death of a cross the death of a criminal that's what Jesus did when people saw him they said there is absolutely no way that that's the Messiah and the man who's going to change the world forever Jesus was born in a manger he was born in Bethlehem of Judea which was the smallest city of all of the region of Judea he was from a poor family. <laughs> I heard someone say once, one of these prosperity preachers, uh, I heard them say once, you know, uh, that Jesus was born into a family of a carpenter. That means he was the son of a businessman. He was a man with, you know, who had great means to start business and so forth. And, 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 I, and I heard this radio, and, you know, when you hear a radio and you're trying to pull your the little hair that you've got and going, my God, who is he? What What's going on? I mean, he was the poorest of all. Poor, and we know he was a poor family because when they came to give their sacrifice, they brought doves. They couldn't even afford the, They couldn't even afford to bring the sheep. That was the customer. They they brought forth what what the what the law described as we're going to make a provision for the poor families who can't afford a sheep. So we're going to have them come and bring the, that's what they brought. That's the offering they brought. They couldn't even afford to bring the customary offering. And so this is the kind of family he was born into. He didn't own real estate. There was no beauty in him. He comes into Jerusalem riding in the donkey. He eats with publicans and sinners. He dies the death of a criminal. And then even his tomb wasn't his. His tomb was a borrowed tomb. Who does that? Who who dies in a borrowed tomb? What kind of language? Could you imagine when the father of that home goes back? You see, tombs in those days were precious commodities. I mean, you bought that. That was part of your whole, and, and so your whole family was buried in that tomb. That's what you bought for your family and the family that was to come for generations to come. And this is a new tomb. So this is a guy who just barely bought this in this generation. And for that, for the first time they were going to use this tomb. So it, it, could you imagine when this guy comes back home and his wife goes, what did you do today, hon? And he says, uh, I, I, I was around town and there was a guy who asked me if there was a tomb that I could lend him. How do you lend a tomb? But that's what the Bible says, that his tomb was borrowed. The guy comes back and says, but baby, don't worry. I know that's our inheritance. I know that's our children's inheritance. I know you, you're, you're thinking I'm a madman because I gave it away. But don't worry. He said in three days he'd give it back. <laughs> Amen. It's just, it's just borrowed. It's just a loan. 
I didn't give it away. I, I, I loaned it out. But that's how God chose to reveal himself in the flesh. He did not come with the bells and the whistles. And at first sight, everything and everyone was saying, it's impossible for this man to be our Messiah. It defies conventional wisdom. And yet, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Even with all of his poverty and his frailty and his human condition, God decided that there would be no salvation in no other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Even, even in those conditions, God chose that it was through Jesus Christ that he would become the captain of our salvation. Even in those conditions, it was Jesus Christ who will make intercession for us. Even in those conditions, it was Jesus Christ who would become Savior of the world. In other words, God has always chosen people and things that seem incapable and unfit to accomplish his promises and purposes. Amen. I need you to look at Jesus' genealogy, and, and, I'll, and I'll have you to see that in Jesus' lineage, in, in his genealogy, there are some things in there. See, the Jews were very particular about who was in their family line, you know. And so you've got, they, they love for their fellow Jews to have pure lineage. And they, they were concerned with pedigree, pedigree. I don't know if you know that word or not, uh, pedigree. I know that word because I used to own a dog. And so that's what they ate, pedigree. But they were just concerned with the fact that they were a pure lineage, that their bloodline was pure. They, they could not stand Samaritans for that reason because Samaritans were part Jews and part something else. So they, they, they absolutely hated Samaritans, so much so that the Jews could have easily, I mean, Samaria was right in between the regions of Judea down at the bottom and the regions of, of Galilee up on top in the north. And it was so much easier to just cross through Samaria to get to each region. That's how Palestine was divided. And yet the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that they would, they would lengthen their trip down, if they wanted to get to Judea, they would lengthen their trip by, I mean, by about 50% just to avoid Samaria. And so what they would do is they would go across, cross the Jordan River and go across and then go down into, that's what they would do so as to not cross through Samaria. That's why, that's why it's so powerful in John 4 when Jesus says that he must needs go through Samaria. That's why the apostles looked at him and said, go where? And he said, yeah, I've got to go. I'm not going through where you're going. I don't, or I'm not going through where we're used to going. I'm going through Samaria. And so it was, it was so powerful to them that they thought, man, this guy's going through Samaria. We don't believe that stuff. And so this is why they hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans were, were part Jews, you know. And so they wanted li their lineage to be right. And this is, this is it. If, if you look at the lineage of Jesus, uh, it might have been important to leave certain characters out of the lineage of Jesus when the Matthew was writing, he was writing to the Jews, 
and when some of these people were writing the genealogy of Jesus, because in the lineage of Jesus, you know what you'll find? You'll find cheats and liars and murderers and prostitutes. Yes, even prostitutes in the lineage of Jesus and sinners. You, you know, that's the kind of lineage that Jesus had. I mean, if you if, if, if Jesus could 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 bring everybody in a timeline of his lineage down to a family reunion, if he could somehow get them all in a time machine and get them all in the same year, in the same day at a family reunion in one house, do you know what would be parked outside outside those, you know, outside of the family reunion? FBI cars. That's what would be outside, and there'd be a theme song. It'd go something like, bad boys, bad boys. That's exactly what would be going on if you were down in Jesus' family reunion. Do you know why? Because this is what he had. He had a woman named Tamar. Tamar, Judas's daughter-in-law, who seduced him to sleep with her because she had no, no one to give uh, 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 birth to. Because, uh, you see, Tamar, her her one husband dies and so she's got no one to give her, her ch children and so the other guy that comes around it, it, when he sees that his brother died he said you know what uh tamar i love you and i know it's the law that i need to give you some children because that i'm the next of kin but i be girl you know we ain't doing this my i saw how my brother died i no. and so and so he said no 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 tamar we're not doing this and so she went over to dad and said, look, the brother won't give me any children, so I got to get with you. But he said, ah, that's not happening, girl. I'm, you know, I'm an old man and uh, I, that, that's just sick. And so, I, I don't know if that's sick around here, but I'm just, <laughs> you know, some certain parts of the country that's sick. And so Tamar seduced her father-in-law to come sleep with her. And God saw that and said, Tamar, you've got some, you've got some history in your past, huh? And she said, yep. And he said, e okay, girl, you qualify. Come on in. You're in the lineage of Jesus. I mean, Tamar. And then you've got a woman named Rahab. Rahab. My God, let me tell you something. That's a harlot. That's a, that's a, a woman of the way. That was a prostitute. Around my way, they call it something else, but I can't say that in the house of God. <laughs> this woman was put genealogy of Jesus. Rahab, a prostitute. Rahab, who made a living by sleeping with other men. And it seems as though God said, are you perfect, Rahab? No, I am not. I've got some stuff down in my past. Way before I came to faith in the God of Israel, way before all of that, there was some stuff that I did that was wrong. And he said, oh, you've got some stuff. Yes, I do. He said, yep, you qualify. Come on down. Come into the genealogy of Jesus. And here she goes. Then you have Ruth who was a Gentile and you have Bathsheba Bathsheba who was David's wife but not because that was his first wife it was actually Uriah's wife whom David murdered so that he can get with her and David had other women but yet in the genealogy of Jesus 
the genealogy goes through Solomon. Why? <laughs> Why does all that stuff happen when he could have easily chosen somebody else? But these are the these are the wombs that brought forth the star of David. These are the wombs that were put in the genealogy of Jesus. And it seems as though he puts them in there and says, you're going to bring forth the, the Messiah that's going to save the world. The, I'm going to bring forth the Messiah. How can I bring forth the Messiah? Ruth, a Gentile. Tamar, a, a, a woman who seduced her own father-in-law. There was Rahab, who was a harlot. Bathsheba, who was an adulterer. And, and you can go on and down that list and you will find cheaters. You'll find murderers. You'll find people who could not keep God's promise and bring forth God's will. And yet these were the people that God chose to bring forth his promise. And now the question is why would God choose these people to bring forth his promise? Now I bring you back to that verse in Corinthians that we started out with. He said the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's what, that's what he chose. And then it says that he had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That's what he chose. Why did you choose those things? When in the Corinthian society, you could have easily chosen those things which were mighty and profound. When easily, you could have chosen those things which were philosophically trained. Why did you choose the foolish things of the world, especially in Corinthian society? People of affluence and people who, who were actually the, the, uh, the bedrock of, part of the bedrock of civilization at that time. People who were highly trained in all sorts of Greek culture and highly Hellenized. Why would you choose in that part of the, uh, of that part of the world, why would you choose base things and people who were despised and weak things and foolish things? Why would you choose that? And here is your answer. In verse 29, Paul said, he chose these things for this reason that no flesh should glory in his presence he said the reason that I chose those things is because I choose to share what my, my glory with absolutely no one because I choose that at the end of the day when people would come back and look at you and they would say wait a second wait 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 you're telling me that out of all the options that God had to turn the world world upside down, uh, that that's who you chose, uh, that that's the people you brought forth, uh, that these are the people you brought in. Uh, he said, there's absolutely no way that could happen. Uh, but he said, I, that's exactly what I want them to do. And that's exactly how I want them to react. Uh, I want them to see your life uh, and said, man, there is absolutely no way. Uh, that used to be Bob from down the block. Uh, he's a drunk and a cheater and a wife beater. And look at him now. 
there's absolutely no way that that man right there could be responsible for a great revival in your area. There is no way on God's green earth that that woman, look at what she used to do. Look at who she used to sleep around with. Look at who she used to run with. There is no way she used to be a meth head. Look at her leaving her children way back where they were. There is no way that they could be responsible for what's going on around this place. But God said that's exactly where I want them. I want them to come back to the church and say you mean you left the bar stool five years ago and you never came back? You mean to tell me you left the crack vial at the altar, got filled with the Holy Ghost and you never came back to this dirty old world? I didn't think you had it in you. Not the guy I used to run with. You couldn't have done this on your own. God said, I'm bringing people to a place where they'll have to look at your life and said, that couldn't have been you. You didn't have the willpower. There was no wit in you. There was no intelligence in you. There was not enough strength in you to bring it forth. If it had not been but for the Lord who was on your side, there's absolutely no way that this could have happened. My God. He said, I'm trying to bring people to the church uh, that when they come into the house of God, uh, they're looking at your keyboard player going, are you serious? You see, you, you're, you're what? Are you serious? They're looking at your deacons going, he's deacon whom? He's de- what, what, what? Come again. There's absolutely no way this kind of stuff is happening. But God says the reason I'm doing it is so that no flesh can glory in my presence. So that then when they see what they see, they'll have to say, like the songwriter said, look what the Lord has done. Amen. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Look what the Lord has done. The doctor couldn't have done it. Lawyers couldn't have done it. Nobody else could have done it. But look what the Lord has done. Is there a witness in this house? Is there somebody that let the redeemed of the Lord say so? Is there somebody that can testify to this fact? My God, I was dead in my sins and my trespasses. I was down in my miry clay, but he brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stand. It's the kind of God that you serve here today. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. For what purpose? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of men. And that's why he puts treasure in earthen vessels. I go back to the story. When God chose Abraham, God chose Sarah, I love it because he chose Abraham. (laughs) And Abraham, Pastor Abraham was not a young pup. No, sir. You you know, Abraham was no spring chicken. Abraham was 75 years old. Friend, I don't know about you, but 75, you know, you're not trying to start a church at 75. And you're definitely not trying to start a nation at 75. 
you know, unless you're going to the gym about five times a week, <laughs> trying to get your exercise on and whatnot. <laughs> but you know, at 75, you're not trying to hit. Ain't nobody got time for that. You're trying to get to IHOP, get your 50% off on some <laughs> on some pumpkin pancakes and whatnot. You're not you're not trying to hear all this nation talk and all this stuff. But he chose Abraham when he was 75 years old. And his wife was 65 years old. 65. <laughs> it's funny because he chooses him just out of nowhere. And they're affluent people. Abraham's got money. He's got land. You know, he's, he's got resources. I, you know, I can imagine when Abraham gets back home and there's Sarah and she's got a masseuse giving her massages in the back named Jorge. And here she is with the granite countertops. And Abraham parks his camel outside. He comes out over to Sarah and says, Sarah, uh, I, uh, I have something I need to talk to you about. You know, whenever you hear the we got to talk sentence, be afraid. <laughs> Be very, very afraid. He said, uh, there is there's something I got to talk to you about. And Sarah says, yeah, babe, what, what, what's going on? What did you do today? He said, I was out and about today, and I heard a voice. She said, Abraham, you haven't heard anything in like 20 years. My, my dude, you, 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 you haven't heard much. He said, um, no, I, I, I heard something. And what I heard was there was a promise that was given to me. And the promise said that I would be the father of many nations. That I should leave my land and leave my parents' home. That I should go to a land that he was going to show me. It was the God of gods. That was believed. It was believed that the region <coughs> where Abraham was from, archaeologists have discovered arithmetic problems <coughs> in this region from the days of Abraham. And so this was a pretty affluent and a pretty intelligent region. And then others say that there were more gods there than there were people. I mean, Abraham had a plethora of gods to choose from. But he heard a voice at 75 years of age. And so he said, uh, baby, I, I know you're 65. And I know you think I just, I just, I just don't have it anymore. But, but girl, it was the Lord. It wasn't me. I'm not, I'm not saying this. The Lord said I was going to be a father of many nations. Well, here is the problem. The problem is, Abraham, that you received the promise at 75. And you probably thought, <laughs> by this time next year, I'm going to have a little Abraham. 
you know, girl, let's get to it. Because by this time next year, I'm going to have a little Abraham. But the Lord said, ah, uh, that's not the way it works. Abraham, I only gave you a promise at 70. Have you ever wondered, why didn't I choose him when he was 25? He could have easily just turned the clock back or just found somebody else that was in the strength of his youth and said, I've chosen you. And his wife would have more readily accepted that because this was normative. This is how normal people do their thing. But God said, nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to choose you at 25. I'm not going to choose you at 35, 45, 50. Yeah, not even 55 or 65. I'm going to wait till you're 75 years old. Way past your prime. That's when I'm going to choose you to do my work in you. And Abraham said, okay, Lord, I believe. You know, if I have to, man, you know, I believe. If Larry King could have a child that's 70-something years old, I could, I could do that too. Let's do it. Here he is, 76, saying, Lord, where's my child? And the Lord said, I gave you a promise at 75, but I didn't say I was going to fulfill that promise at 75. Because there's some people out there who are still having children about your age. And that's not what I want to do. I'm going to wait till you're 100 years old. 25 years later, before he fulfilled the promise he gave him when he was 75. Could you imagine what that does to your confidence and your faith? When you're already an affluent person living in a comfortable environment, you don't ever need to leave anywhere. And God says, follow me and leave your parents and leave your comfort and leave everything. Follow me to a place that I should show you. And these are going to be the, the, the reward of that is I'm going to make you a father of a great nation, Abraham, if you would do that. And could you imagine when Abraham came to Sarah and said, Sarah, you're going to have to leave Jorge behind. And you're going to have to leave all your granite countertops behind because we're pick packing up. And you're going to have to take your little sleeping bag and a little tent. And we're going to have to go out on a journey. And they sojourned. That's what the Bible says. They sojourned. They walked on. And they journeyed for 25 could you imagine what that does to a woman? 25 years. She is banking on the fact that her husband left her affluent home, her affluent neighborhood on, 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 the, on the authority of that he heard a voice somewhere out there where she wasn't. He heard a voice that told him, if you would trust me, I will be, I will make you a father of many nations. And he did it at 75 when his body was now dead and there was deadness in her womb but they sojourned for 25 years the Lord came back when Abraham was 99 years old and he said Abraham you remember a promise I gave you 24 years ago and by this time Abraham is old and he could hardly move anymore and he said yes Lord I do remember and I'm, I'm still banking on that promise but I, I'm not going to lie Lord it's been it's been 
you know, it's it's 25 years later. You know, at 75, I was kind of doubting it. But now at 99, you know, it's been set. But he staggered not in unbelief. He said, if this is your word, then it will come to pass. And here it goes. At 99, Abraham came back, met his wife again and said, Sarah, girl, we've been sojourning for 24 long years. But the Lord came back and said, by this time next year, you shall have a child. Here's the problem, Sarah. You're 89 years old. And now you're pregnant. I don't know about y'all. Now, I've never been pregnant before. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know how y'all do things out here. But I've never been pregnant before. I remember when my first child was born. I was in there. Um, uh, let, me, let me just tell you how, how, kinda how it went down. I was in the room when my first child was born. I remember I, they had told me to go back and take some of these classes, you know, so that I knew what to do when the child was being born and all that stuff. But I decided that I was a man. I didn't need, you know, come on. <laughs> come on. I'm a man. You know, men just, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I went in the room and uh, I mean, it, first of all, I went in the room and uh, my stomach turned over. That's the first thing that happened. And I was part fainting, part there. I didn't, I mean, I, I just looked over and I realized one thing. That woman, that woman has got some strength. Because I smash a nail and I am weeping. I, I know I'm 6'4", 200 and none of your business pounds. But anything happens to me, you best believe I'm calling on my mama, wherever she's at, wherever she's at. I make sicknesses up. I make sicknesses up so she could, you know, butter me up on that phone. I, I'm just, I'm loving that stuff. I'm like, Mom, I don't feel very well. You know, and I, there's a reason why the Lord didn't give us the strength to have, or they didn't give us the ability to have children. But women... Women are strong, man. Women are strong. I saw that woman on that bed there. That's the first thing that I do. And so the nurse started going, push, push, push. And I, I mean, I just thought naturally, if that's, I guess that's what you say. Because I didn't take the classes. So I went over and I said, uh, okay. So I said, Push, push. Uh, I'll never forget, man. That woman stopped her pushing and gave me a look. I looked at that woman back and I said, you know what? Pushing is optional. It's really if you want to, if you don't want to. I don't even know if I want a baby anymore. Just... You do what you got to do. 
And then, then the nurse said, the nurse said, breathe, 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 breathe. So I said, you know, push. I guess I, I should say breathe as well. So you got to understand, I was almost fainting throughout this whole process. I mean, the whole pro it was just overwhelming. And so I was there, and I'm like, breathe, breathe, right? The nurse came, the nurse stopped, and the nurse stopped saying stuff, and I was like, breathe, breathe. And I looked over at the nurse, and the nurse was staring straight at me. <laughs> she wasn't doing her job. She was staring straight at me. And the nurse went, I wasn't talking to her. And so this is a true story. This is a true story. The nurse said, look, she said, look, you are a giant of a man. And if you fall down, I'm going to let you die right there. She said, I need you. I, she said, sir, I need you right now. Could you please come and sit in that corner, that chair right there? Would you please sit there? I'm about to get some nurses to get on you real quick. Because, it, it, you know, so for the rest of this deal, I had to sit over in a corner somewhere while my wife is, you know, giving birth. And here I was in a corner, out in the corner going, push. There's something that I realized on that day. What I realized was that you need strength if you're going to bring forth a child. I saw it. I saw it from the beginning. I saw it when I saw that little vein right here on her forehead. It looked like she was trying to suck a milkshake out of a McDonald's cup. You know that? It, there was a vein right here, and I saw that, and I said, boy, you need some sort of strength to bring forth this child. And here's the problem, Sarah. The problem is that at 89, you don't have the strength to bring forth the fertile promise that God has placed in your sterile womb. You don't have that kind of strength. And here's Sarah at 89, trying to hide the fact. You're at 89. You're trying to, you know, you're waking up at 4 in the morning playing dominoes with your friends. You, at 89 years old, you, 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 you're not trying. You, you, you're trying to chill. You know what I'm saying? And you're not. And here we go. And she's trying to hide the fact that she's pregnant because what, in the, what is she going to tell her girlfriends? Her other girlfriends looking at her going, uh, Sarah, girl, you. You gaining weight? What, what's, what's going on, girl? Get on some insanity. There's some P90X going on right now. You need, a, you need to get on that stuff. You gaining weight. Here's Sarah trying to hide herself, trying to hide the fact that she's gaining a little weight. But you can't hide it anymore. And, you know, you can't hide it. You can't hide it when, you, <laughs> when your fingers are looking like big old sausages. You can't hide it anymore. And finally, she goes in. I love what the book of Hebrews says. As she's sitting there by faith, Sarah also received strength. God said, I chose you, Sarah. And I waited 25 years. 
after the age of giving forth fruit. But I wanted to make sure, the reason why I waited so long, it's because 65, it is still possible with men. And so he said, I needed to wait, Sarah, because I needed you to get to a place where you absolutely, there was absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind that this was not going to come forth from human strength. That this was not going to come forth from any sort of human pot. There was no possible way that science could have a work in this. There was no possible way that your body can do this naturally. So I had to wait until there was absolutely no strength left in you. Here you are. And I had to wait. Until you got there and said, God, I know there's absolutely no strength in me. But my strength is in the name of the Lord. And if you would bring this forth, God, it's going to have to come from you. I had to wait 25 years for this to happen. And this is, this is the... This is what I could only only imagine as Sarah is 90 years old and she's given her birth and her womb was sterile. It was dead. Her husband's body was dead. But God did it that way so that he could get all the glory. I could almost imagine that Sarah's out there going, Lord, why didn't you give me this promise when I was a young woman, why didn't you put this inside of me when I was able to accomplish your will and to do what you sent me out to do? And I could almost imagine that God responded to her and said, God, the re uh, Sarah, the reason why is because they don't call me the God of the possible. See, what is possible, you can do. And I'll give you the strength to do it. Yes, I do. But it is possible in your arms and it is possible with your hands and it as possible with your intelligence then you go ahead and do it but he said they call me the god of the impossible when you get to the end of self that's when i can accomplish what only i can accomplish do you know what i'm here for i'm here to tell you that every miracle begins with an impossibility that every miracle begins at the point that you get to the end of yourself that when you're down to nothing. That's when God is up to something. I'm here to tell you that what God is doing inside of you, he's putting a vision. He's putting a dream. He's putting a seed that is way too much for you to bring forth on your own. It's the seed of promise. It's a promise that is sterile, but it's in an unsterile womb. It's an unfertile womb, and you can't bring it forth on your own. But God is saying, I put it in there for a reason baby you've been praying you've been crying you've been weeping the vision's too much the promise too much for me to bear it I can't bring it forth on my own and God is saying I've got you right where I want you you can remain standing have you ever reasoned and here's Sarah, sterile womb, can't bring forth a child. Re why? 
because God said, I'm going to get all the glory out of you. And so finally they get Isaac, you know, Isaac. Ese es el nombre que le pusieron al hijo, Isaac. I was just speaking in tongues right now. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know what I was saying. <coughs> Isaac. Here comes Isaac. And he said, oh, dad, come on. I know you can have a child, but I'm Isaac. Man, I'll, I'll, dad, I'm going to make you proud. I'm, man, I've got some strength. You didn't, you, man, you're an old man. Come on, not you, not you personally. You know, you're, you're old and decrepit, dad. But me, I'm going to make you proud. You're going to be the father of many nations through me. So God looked at Isaac and said, oh, really? All right. Well, Isaac, here comes Rebecca. And guess what? Her womb was also dead. Isaac is going, what? What? Wait, I thought. Abraham said, yes, yeah, son. Remember when you said, uh, remember when you said you were uh, Remember you said you had all this strength and all this stuff? Your daddy, your daddy was the man <laughs> at 100. You can't even. <laughs> Isaac gets a wife whose womb was dead. Finally, they have twins. Here comes Jacob, and he's a hothead. And I could almost imagine Jacob coming over and saying, Granddad, you don't got it, man. Daddy, you're not the man. I'm Jacob. I'm a fighter. I'm going to put both of you guys to shame. I'm going to give us, I'm going to give us this, this great family name and fulfill the promise that God, it, it's going to be through me. I'm going to do this. So the Lord said, oh, oh you are. He said, yep. He said, uh-uh. I'm going to give you a woman named Rachel. And here comes Rachel. And she is sterile. And she can't bring forth a child. So now, the three patriarchs of Israel, upon whom the whole nation is established, have a promise. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three patriarchs, have all, all have wives that have sterile wombs and cannot bring forth the promise of God. Why? You know why? So that years later, when the story was being told in little Jonathan's room, in the homes of little children of Israel, when the story was being told, when the children were saying, Grandpa, would you tell me the story again of how the people and nation of Israel was born? So that they would say, let me tell it to you again. There was absolutely no human
could be born out of our beds. But God, who was rich in mercy. You know what this context, this context, our text, what we read from, do you know where it was read from? It was read from the context of justification. How are we justified? How are we called righteous before God? How are we to do it? Do you know how? This is what Paul is arguing. Just as Abraham trusted in God for his promise, so do we who have absolutely no good in us inherently have to trust in God to justify the sinner. We come before him and there's absolutely nothing in us that can save us. Yet we have to come before him and say, God, you be the propitiation for our sins. You be the lamb that's going to become the substitutionary atonement, the substitute. You're going to become the substitute for my sins because I can't do this on my own. There is not enough grace, enough power. There is not enough righteousness in me, but I will trust in your accomplished work at Calvary. I will trust that you lived a righteous life on my behalf, that now by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of us. It is a gift from God, not by works, lest what? Lest any man should boast. That the reason I did it is so no one could boast, so no one could glory. So the excellency of the power may be of us, of, of me, and not of you. So now we stand before God like Abraham at 100 years old, going, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And there's absolutely nothing we can do, Lord. But you gave us a promise that you would save us. You gave us a promise that you would make us righteous. You gave us a promise that you would heal us. You made us a promise that you would heal my, me from my sins, that you would deliver me. And now you gave me a promise that you would sanctify us to be a holy people unto you. Not just positionally, that's what happened, but now by way of living, we are going to live out what you have already made us. You've made us righteous, now we'll walk in righteousness. You've given us that promise. It's a promise that I can't fulfill on my own. But here I am. This is what the Lord brought me out here to tell you. This is my assignment for tonight. Elder, the Lord brought me out here to tell you that his work with you is not done. But it's just beginning. The Lord brought me out here to tell you that you have prayed and sought the Lord about this and said God I don't know if I have the strength to accomplish everything you've placed in my heart but here's the word of the Lord to you you will never have the manpower you will never have enough money in the bank you will never have enough energy to fulfill God's promise in your life. And the day you do, you better quit because it's not from God. It's when you get to the end of self and say, Lord, I can't anymore. 
That's where you're at. Lord, I don't know if our church can. I don't know if we can do it. That's when God said, I'll step in and I will do what you can never do on your own. Because when the finished product is done, this neighborhood is going to see the work and say, look what the Lord has done. I'm here to tell this church, God is going to get some glory out of your place. God is going to get glory out of your life. God is going to get glory with just a little bit that you have. God is going to get glory out of your dead wombs. God is going to get glory out of your inabilities. God is going to get glory out of your sufferings. God is going to get glory out of your places where you're not capable. You're going to ask why and you're going to say God we're not rich enough we're not popular enough we're not witty enough we're not intelligent enough we're not powerful enough we're not noble enough and God says good you came to the end of self now let me work where you can't work let me do what you can't do I'm going to get glory out of your life I'm going to get glory out of impossibility I'm going to get glory in circumstances uh, that you can't even imagine. Uh, I'm telling you, it is God at work in you uh, that is a hope of glory. Uh, it is God that is at work in you that will accomplish this will. Uh, nobody thought it was possible. Nobody thought you can do it. But I'm here to tell this church, stand up and stand firm. Uh, not in your own wittiness. Not in your intelligence. Not in your power and strength. Stand up because God is about to get glory out of your church. He's about to get glory out of your pastor's life. He's about to get glory out of your minister. I'm telling you, there are Bible studies right now that are coming to you. And you don't even know what you got to say. But God is saying, I'm putting a word in your mouth. I'm putting the word in your heart. You're about to start teaching Bible studies. Coming out of my Bible studies saying, Lord, I don't even know if the word came through the way it was supposed to, but he said, it's not about you. It's not about you. It is not about you. Paul planted Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. And if the Lord don't build a house, they labor but in vain, they that build it. And if the Lord don't watch over the city, they labor but in vain. It's not about you. It is by my spirit saith the Lord. God is about to accomplish a work in your life that you have no room to contain because you have no power to bring it forth. Lift your hands all over this building and receive the word of the Lord right now in Jesus name. All over this building right now. Just lift your hands and lift your voices. Lift your hands and lift your voices all over this building. Come on. Señor, yo oro ahora en el nombre de Jesús. I pray even now, Lord, even now, your will be done in this place and in this house through the people of God 
who are now assembled here, I pray that you would bring forth your will and that that seed of fertility, that promise of fertility that you have placed in a sterile womb that is incapable, incapable of bringing forth your will, I pray, oh God, that that, that you would accomplish it for your glory, for your power. We will trust you just like we trust you for our justification. We will trust you in every single step of our way. We're not able, but you are. We're not strong enough, but you are. Would you, like Sarah, give us strength? Would you, like Sarah, like you did Sarah, would you give us strength? I pray, oh Lord, even now, you understand there are some people in this house whose strength is gone. You understand in this house, there are some people in this house who came in here and they could barely make it. You understand that there are some people at wit's end. There are some people that are in this house who are saying, God, I have absolutely no desire to be here because there is nothing in me that is good. There is none righteous. There is no good thing that is in me. Lord, there is absolutely, I don't know what my place is and where I, what am I doing, but God, I pray right now that you would confirm through your word that it is not by might nor is it by power but it is through your spirit I pray right now that you would confirm through your word that you don't need the home court advantage to have your will be done that you're going to do what you're going to do through your power through your strength you're going to bring it forth that no flesh should glory in your presence I pray right now I pray even now for that young lady who thinks, God, uh, how am I going to survive in a world uh, where I can't find a man in the church uh, and there's others out there who are calling on me and flirting with me? How am I going to do it? It's not in them to do it, uh, but through your spirit, saith the Lord, uh, you will help them uh, to live a life unto you that is of righteousness and holiness. Uh, I pray even now for that father, for that father over his family, oh God, uh, who knows that he can get ahead in his workplace, who knows that he can make more money if he puts aside some things that are fundamental in his life and he dedicates himself fully to some things that are apart from you. But I pray that you would reveal today it will be by your strength you will give him the power and the means and the ability to do things he didn't think he could do with his own hands. For you have placed a promise even in this sterile womb, even in the dead economy, you have placed this power, you have placed this treasure, an earthen vessel, that the excellency of the power may be of you and not of men. I pray now that you would help us to see these things in Jesus' name. I'm going to open this altar. I want people down here who would trust and believe uh, the word of the Lord here being spoken. Uh, I want people who would trust this word and say, God, uh, it's going to be accomplished through you and you alone. Uh, I'm going to trust you for this. Uh, I'm going to trust your word for this. Uh, God, I'm going to trust what you have to say about my life. Uh, I'm going to trust your ability, oh Lord. Uh, I'm going to trust the fact uh, that you have the last say, that you will get glory out of my life. Hallelujah. Come on, girl. He's about to get glory out of your life. He's about to get glory out of your life. Come on. Don't you minimize God's power in your life. 
It's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's not about your ability. Come on, young man. He's about to get glory out of your life. He's about to get glory out of your life. You don't have enough to accomplish God's vision, but he's about to get glory out of your life so that his name, so that his name would be magnified. That's what he's about to do. That's what he's about to do for you. That's what he's about to do in this community. That's what he's about to do in this church so that his name is glorified. He's about to do it. You don't have enough money, but he's going to make a way. You don't have enough manpower, but he's going to make a way. You don't have it in you, but I promise you, in due season, if you faint not, he's going to make a way. He's going to make a way out of nowhere. That's the God that you serve. He's going to get glory out of your life.